Father God, we ask that you lead us as we think about relationships again, as we think about uh, differences between the sexes, as we think about a biblical uh, role for marriage and how we relate to each other. And please guide us through this presentation, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we, I've entitled this Waffles and Spaghetti, and this will make more sense a little bit later, Bridging the Abyss Between the Sexes. So this is our, our fourth section of Two Peas in a Pod. And here's my family. Uh, this was a, a couple of years back. Uh, my little boy, Skylar, he is uh, the youngest, and like all youngest, he knows how to manipulate his parents. And then you, we have Seth, he's our little musician, and Anaya, she's our... Uh, uh, dramatic one. Things are wonderful or things are terrible because that's her personality and so we have a wonderful family and I wish they could be here with me and there's my wife Nicole. So um, you know as we were getting to know each other we discovered that there were some differences between us and we came across this little saying and we thought it was kind of funny you know which gender is a computer and a little discussion well how do you see uh, a computer and you know we figured out uh, a computer is female because no one but the creator understands their in internal logic. Uh, the native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to anyone else. Even the smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later review. <laughs> and as soon as you commit to one, you find yourself spending half of your salary for accessories for it. <laughs> so my wife said, no, 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 that's a, a, a computer is not female. It's actually male. And uh, so we took this off a website. This was not our original. She says, in order to do anything with them, you have to turn them on. They have a lot of data, but they still can't think for themselves. <laughs> They're supposed to solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. So unfortunately, she doesn't believe that about me. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, there are some differences, but this is not it. Um, we, we happen to uh, see a great set of videos. You've probably heard of them, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And this has a reduced sound uh, here. So uh, you'll just have to listen very carefully as we play this video. And it's entitled A Tale of Two Brains. And it's by Mark Gungor. And so just listen in very carefully. There's no sound initially, and then it'll kick in in just a minute, yeah. Um, yeah, there are differences between men and women. It's not as simple as this. Man has an on-off switch, and women have a whole set of dials. Uh, but there are definitely some differences. Now, some of us men, you know, there used to be a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Some of us men are, have a little bit from Venus and some women have a little bit from Mars, right? These are stereotypes, generalizations. And we laugh at them because they're often true, but each one of us are unique individuals and it's not always true for us, right? Yeah. And so we have to look at this carefully and recognize we have differences and how do we approach those differences. So today, I'm going to talk about some of those differences, take a biblical perspective, but also suggest to you that the real point of these differences is not to say, well, you're just like that, there's nothing I can do, but to say, what is God's plan for a relationship even when we know we're different? Does that make sense to everyone? 
And so that's what we want to take a look at. Now, I entitled this Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti because kind of in harmony with uh, the video by Mark Gungle, men tend to have boxes. And that's what a waffle is like, right? It, a waffle has certain boxes in it. And in those boxes, you, you think about the things that are in that box. So for instance, for me, when I'm in my work box and my wife calls and says, Hi, honey. I have to make a shift from the box I'm in to try and connect with her. And I, I didn't always do a good job of that when we were first married. So she would be, hi, honey, and trying to flirt with me. Did you think of me today? And I'm like, no, I was in my work box. Why would, you're in my home box. <laughs> and she's like, fine. You know? I was like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> but that was my, my, my work box. And I had, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Now, when I was having a discussion with her, I found out that she was more like spaghetti. Now, have you ever tried to follow a piece of spaghetti on your plate? You know, does that work very well? No, because as you're following the piece of spaghetti, it touches every other piece of spaghetti on the plate. So I would be having a discussion with my wife, trying to follow this piece of spaghetti. You know, I should begin a conversation. You know, uh, I've noticed that uh, Joan wasn't speaking up at the Bible study. And uh, I go, yeah, yeah, I wonder why that was. She says, I wonder if it has to do with her home life because, you know, Jack, uh, Jack's been out of town a lot. And, you know, the men in our congregation, they sometimes do tend to move out of town a lot. And uh, that, you know, and then the wives get together at their own Bible study. They have a ladies' Bible study. And when I was at the ladies' Bible study last week, then I noticed that, uh, that uh, Jackie uh, also hadn't been coming for a while. And I wondered about Jackie's husband. And it just keeps going. <laughs> you know, she would keep following different things that touched each other, that all had emotional connections. And because, let's be honest, the, the woman's brain, the left and the right hemispheres tend to talk to each other more. So what happens is things remind you of other things and they have these emotional connections and the two parts of the brain are communicating. And there's this line of logic, but I can't follow it because the piece of spaghetti is getting mixed up with every other piece of spaghetti. I was like, wait a minute, we were talking about Joan. How did we end up with Jackie's husband? You know, how did we get there? And she says, it all makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and I recognized we were different. We were different. I was more like waffles and she was more like spaghetti. And she's learned how to talk waffle and I've learned how to follow spaghetti. Alright, so have you seen those differences between people? Yeah. So, there were, there were some of these differences. Um, the, another difference, uh, somebody put it this way, a quiet man is a thinking man, a quiet woman is usually mad. <laughs> so, okay, you know, when I'm quiet, I'm, I'm caving. See, I'm a caver, and my wife's a converser. So, the converser can't solve anything unless they talk about it. And a caver can't solve anything if there's talk going on. So I'm a caver. I, I'm like, let me go into my cave. I've got this problem. I'm going to sit in my cave. And all you have to do is bring a little bit of food to the door of the cave and leave me alone. And then when I've figured out the problem, I can come out and I can talk to you. But for my wife, she's a converser. So if I leave her alone when there's a problem, it just kind of runs over and over in her mind. And there's no way out of it because the only way out of it is to talk it through. 
And so she would be, we would have discussions. We never have arguments. We just have very animated discussions. And so uh, we, we had a discussion and, and I have too much sensory information. I don't know what's going on with my emotions. Asking a guy, by the way, what are you feeling right now is pointless because we don't even know what we're feeling. I mean, why ask that question? I, I need to go into my cave and figure it out. So, so I would like, okay, I've just got to go for a walk. And I would go for a walk. She'd be sitting there mad because all of the stuff is going on because now she can't process it. So when I'd come back, I would be happy because I had caved and I'd figured it out and I'd walk in and she would be mad and quiet now. So I'm like, I'm ready to talk. Well, I'm not. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And that's because now she, she's just, it's like, what's the use? I needed to talk, an, you know, 30 minutes ago and then you left. So any of you guys discovered some of these things? Now, of course, the cave and the converser don't have to be male, female that way, but it can work out. You know, one book says men are like clams and women are like crowbars. <laughs> you know, because the guy wants to shut up and the woman's like, please talk to me, tell me what you're feeling. So uh, these, these differences can occur. So I'm going to suggest to you that the way to deal with these differences is not simply to say, well, this is the way I am, hun. You better just get used to it. Uh, you, you can't change me. But it's to have a deeper philosophy that's going through your marriage. So one of the questions we ask in premarital counseling is, do you want a holy marriage or a happy one? And they're like, oh, what do you mean? You, why do I have to choose? We say, just go through this exercise. Which is the highest priority? Because we say, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, that the heart's going to follow what you desire. So we say, you know, what do you want? And uh, so here's what happens. So somehow my wife says that I promised to give her a massage every night in one of our MSN Messenger conversations. Now, I don't remember saying that. And she never saved the conversation. So, <laughs> so, I, so when we got married, this was kind of like, hey, you know, you promised those massages each night? Well, here I am. And, you know, after I did it for a while, I'm like, phew, you know, let's do something else. And so, and so she, got, she got a little upset, you know, but I thought that this was part of the deal. Now, if you want a happy marriage, if that's your goal, I want a happy marriage, you're, you're going to say, I will only be happy if my husband gives me massages every night. And so when he doesn't, what are you going to do? You're going to be unhappy, and that's not right, because I want to be happy, so you're going to manipulate your husband. I, I need two volunteers. Can I, can I pick on the two of you? All right. If you just stand up right where you are. And let's just say, uh, is this mother-daughter? Yeah. All right. So let's just say uh, what you want is you want a happy home. And your daughter is, uh, we'll just go back a few years, yeah? She's not cleaning her room. And you want a happy home. All right. So let's just say that's what you want. So now... In order for you to be happy, just pretend I'm happiness. Woo! All right. So in order for, for the mother here to be happy, she needs a clean house. And who is standing in between the way of her and happiness? The daughter. So what she has to do is manipulate her daughter in order to get her daughter to do what she wants in order for her to be happy. Thank you. Does that make sense? So with, when you want a happy marriage, you are going to continuously be trying to get the other person to do it your way. 
because they are standing between you and happiness. So you, you're going to end up manipulating that person to get what you want. So if you had to choose one, which would it be? Uh, what happens is your goal is going to determine your outcome. Is it going to be happiness or holiness? Now you say, well, what do you mean by holiness? Holiness simply means becoming like Jesus. Right? That's what it is. So do you want a marriage that makes you happy or a marriage that helps you become like Jesus? So if that's your goal, I want to become like Jesus, then you soon start to discover, oh wait, if, if I'm aiming at this goal, then even if this person doesn't clean their room, I can still become like Jesus. Does that make sense? Even if this person doesn't make me happy, I can still become like Jesus. And the way I become like Jesus is I learn how to minister instead of manipulate. And so we believe that if your goal is happiness, you will never be fully happy because nothing can ever fully satisfy you and make you happy. But if your goal is holiness, the good news is you may well achieve happiness because if you've got two people wanting to become like Jesus, aren't they going to have a happy marriage? Yeah. But they put that goal first. I'm going to invest in becoming like Jesus rather than in trying to get this other person to meet my needs. So when couples come to us for counseling, the question that's often driving them is, look, how can I get this person to do what I want them to do? Uh, so uh, let's just take a scenario. couple comes in and she says, you know... Uh, this has been uh, very difficult for me because my husband, he seems to love work more than me. And so he's getting home at like uh, 8 o'clock. And he looks at her and says, you know, well, I would, uh, you know, really there's nothing to make me want to come home earlier than that. And so, woo, all right, let's, let's step back. You see, now what do both of them want? The husband may be saying, what I want is for her to treat me with respect and to, to make the home a place I can come home to. So that's what I want. And then she's going, well, that's fine. I, uh, if you get home by 5 o'clock or 5.30, then I'll treat you with respect. So you could, in this scenario, make a contract. And I talked about this in one of the previous seminars, where the one says, I'll be home by 5.30 if you don't criticize me. And she says, I won't criticize you if you're home by 5.30. Well, how long is that going to last? Maybe a week. And then somebody's going to fall off. Maybe she's going to become critical. Or maybe he's going to come home late. And then they'll be justified in saying, huh, contract over, war is on. You know, and that's not, it's not good because their focus was, I want you to do what I want. I want you to minister to my, uh, my needs. So the whole way along, I've been critiquing modern dating. Now I want to critique modern marriage. See, modern marriage tends to be founded on feelings of attraction. Ooh, you made me feel so great. Uh, I feel wonderful when I'm with you. It's all about mutual satisfaction. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We'll get along great together. Uh, it measures success based on happiness. I can't believe how I feel when I'm with you. And is a contract rather than a covenant. So I'm, I'm going to suggest to you this is not biblical. And this will never actually lead to happiness. Uh, and that was the problem we found with many of the marriage books that we were reading. For instance, we, we read this book about gender differences. It was called His Needs, Her Needs. And I'll share some things in there. I mean, it was helpful to understand the different needs. But we didn't like this approach. Whether you have just started your life together, have had an average marriage for a number of years, have a bad marriage, 
or even have had an affair, you can build or rebuild your marriage. How? If you learn to become aware of each other's needs and learn to meet them. And you know why we didn't like that? Because this is essentially a selfish goal. In fact, in the book they say this will affair-proof your marriage. You just find out what makes him tick and then you give him that and then he'll give back to you what you want and you'll all be happy. And we said, is this really becoming like Jesus or is this learning how to help people become more selfish? Uh, we looked at most tools for relationships and they would deal with communication and conflict resolution as strategies to be learned rather than an issue of spirituality. Because, you know, what's really going on, and that's going to be the next session we'll deal with, is selfishness. And if you're not dealing with selfishness and you teach someone communication tools, you know what they're going to help them to become? is just more effective at manipulation. I'll learn how to listen to you like I learned in evangelism. They have this little phrase. We call it the three F's. Feel, felt, found. Oh, I understand how you feel. I felt the same way. But let me tell you what I found. And then you give them your solution. And so, uh, for a while, I used it on my wife, you know, until she figured out, hey, hey, wait, wait, haven't you used this before? <laughs> you know, so we figured out that this was really just teaching us to be more effective manipulators by learning these tools, you know, like iMessages. It's not that they're wrong. It can be helpful in the first stage of learning how to communicate non-selfishly, but they tend to be techniques as a solution rather than actually changing a person's heart. And we said what, what Christian marriage is about is about changing our hearts to become more like the heart of Jesus. Is that, everyone following that with me? So if you are pursuing happiness, uh, you're never going to find it. Have you noticed those people who say, I just want to be happy, don't end up being happy. Because when you make that your goal, you don't find happiness as a goal. Instead, what you want to be is transformed into the image of Christ. And marriage is a great way of doing that. Because nothing will bring out your character defects like being together with someone else in marriage. I mean, I thought I was a great person until I got married. I thought I was a patient person until I had kids. You know, the, the effect of, of marriage and having kids helps to transform your character. That's the only reason why Enoch got to go into heaven, right? Is because he had a kid. And then he realized what character perfection was really all about. So if your goal is happiness, your method of achieving it is going to end up in selfishness. But if your goal is holiness, your method of achieving it is going to be something we call sanctification. So then your spouse can end up mistreating you even. And it's simply a process of sanctification in your life. Isn't that powerful? Now, as some of you are younger, you're like, I don't know, I want to be sanctified. None of us wants to be sanctified. <laughs> but we need it, right? And so a marriage helps to sanctify us. And it reminds me, I need to grow in this area. This has identified selfishness in my life. Because the problem is identified in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. So if someone has that, go ahead and read Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. It's a powerful text. It says, it speaks of evils that have been committed among the Israel nation. So Jeremiah 2 verse 13, it says this, this two evils that have been committed by the people of God. What's the first evil? Anyone who's found it? Yes, Crystal. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, 
that can hold no water. All right, so the two evils that happen here is they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out broken cisterns. What is a cistern? Cistern was just simply a reservoir for holding water. It's where you go get your water supply. But the problem with this water supply is you, you go back to it and it keeps leaking water. There's never enough water there. And so you're always, if you don't have enough water, you're always thirsty. So people are continuously thirsty and they can never get enough. And that's what's happening in our world today. I feel a little down. So where am I going to go? I'm going to go to my phone and see how many Facebook likes I have. Woo, look, I got 37 people who liked my post. I feel good for a little while. And then it's like, so what does it really matter? I mean, all I had to do was click like. And some of those people don't even like me. So, you know, and then I, so I feel a little down. Let me do something else. I, I live on a campus where, like, Saturday night, there's Saturday night fever. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's bored. Like, it's Saturday night. You know, we should do something. Yeah, what, what should we do? There's just this thirst to fill up our cups and so we begin blaming our partners because the reason why I'm not happy is because you're not meeting my needs. You can see how this would work? And so because we start blaming people, it's a broken system. They can never satisfy us enough. So the problem is twofold. We have a broken system. We've hewed out this place that we think will make us happy. And then on the other hand, we've forsaken the fountain. And so what's going on is we move from, we don't go to the fountain and we end up with broken systems. We end up escaping and trying to find happiness over here. So what does forsaking the fountain mean? What does it mean to forsake the fountain? Forsaking God. Forsaking God, because He's the only one who has the love that you need. So in a marriage, when you're trying to get someone else to meet your needs, you're really saying, I can't go to God to have those needs met, so instead I'm going to try and manipulate you to give you what I need. And we need to instead go back, find the fountain, and break down the idols, the broken systems that can never satisfy us, whether it's the internet or another person or, or some other thing. So again, if your goal is happiness, um, your contentment is going to rise and fall on your spouse's behavior. Uh, and this happens in teenage relationships too. Oh, he looked at me today. Woo, I feel so good. This is incredible. And then the next day he looks right past you. And then it's this the worst day of my life. Because your happiness is dependent on what they do. Uh, when your spouse does not please you, you're going to seek to manipulate him or her. I need you to do this. And we're going to start saying certain things. You, you're going to swing from apathy to, all right, I just don't care, to resentment. If you really loved me, you wouldn't do this. To anger, to disillusionment, to depression. And it's all because we wanted our spouse to make us happy. And you may find yourself thinking, if only he or she would do this, then I would be happy. Any of you ever experienced this? Come on, be honest with me. You've gone through it? Yeah. If you just did this, you know, for my wife, was if he could just put his socks away, I would be happy. You know, for me, I... I, I grew up in, in, a, in Africa where we had servants. And so our house was always meticulously clean. And so when I got married, it was just like this hidden expectation. Like, our house is going to be clean. And then we had kids. And, you know, kids have a way of, like, generating junk. I, I don't know how they do it, but they, like, walk into a room and they press a button. And it's like 
a blender gets switched on and everything gets thrown around the room and then it's just like everywhere. It's like, what did you do? You know, you only had 10 minutes. How did you do this in 10 minutes? But they're, they're highly creative that way. And so, you know, I would walk in and I, the first thing when I got back home, I would just look at the messes and I would say, oh, this house is a pigsty. We need to clean this up. And I would be, kids, do this and, and, and wifey, do that. You know, my expectation was somehow this would all be clean. Because, you know, women who have little kids, they just sit at home all day doing nothing. <laughs> no, they don't. Exactly. And so I just had these, these wrong expectations that were based on, I would be happy if my house was clean. And then I realized, you know what, this is selfish. And my wife said to me, you know, you're really wounding me. If you could walk in and just notice the things I've done instead of the things I haven't done, it would do so much to affirm my spirit. And I was like, you're so right. You know, I've been so focused on my goal of having a clean house, I hadn't even noticed that uh, you had weeded the entire back garden. I hadn't even noticed that you had cleaned the kitchen floor that, y you know, was like uh, something that sucks you in, you know, like the Bermuda Triangle. I hadn't even noticed those things because I was so focused on the things that hadn't been done. And it was my selfishness that had been driving this. So, you know, if you're thinking if only he or she would do this and make me happy, you have the wrong goal. And you'll tend to approach conflict self-protectively. Well, I would do this if you do that. And, uh, you know, and so it becomes this, this uh, yeah, well, fine. You know, I'll just show you how bad you are. And we protect ourselves from really loving and ministering to the other person. On the other hand, if your goal is holiness, then you're going to rely on Christ instead of the other person to make you happy. Uh, to make you lovable and worthwhile. So you don't, the other person doesn't have to treat you right in order for you to feel a sense of love and worth. You're going to approach conflicts primarily with the desire not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's a biblical uh, perspective, right? A biblical principle. And so when you come into a situation, the first thought in your mind is, how can I minister through this situation to my spouse? Isn't that a powerful concept? And if you approach conflicts this way, it totally changes everything because you're learning to be like Jesus. And you're going to respond to conflicts lovingly and respectfully whether or not you feel loved and respected because that's what Jesus would do. And as a result, you're going to bring to your home an atmosphere of heaven. Who of you would like to live in a family where every member of the family is learning to minister to each other? Wouldn't that be great? It's like, you know, you walk in, it's like, how can I minister to you? Now, it's hard when you're both tired and exhausted and things happen. And that's, that's part of what we're going to talk about in the next presentation, how you minister through conflict. But the goal is there. How can I love and respect you the way Jesus would? How can I minister to you? And that brings me to this book, Love and Respect. And I like this book. We found it helpful because while it talks about differences between men and women, it uses biblical principles, principles of ministry as the solution, rather than just pure understanding. Oh, this is how guys act. This is how girls act. Woo! You know, but it actually uses these, these biblical principles of ministry as a solution to this. And the guy's funny too, so that helps. Um, so we begin with this first section, Ephesians 5, verse 33. Go ahead and read it with me. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, notice the two parts here. What is the man supposed to do? Love or cherish is another way we have. What is the, the woman supposed to do? 
respect. And, you know, in the book he says, why is it that the man is called to love and the woman is called to respect? Because a man naturally struggles to love. That, that's just a challenge for him, to really cherish his wife. He's more kind of work-focused. And a woman is more naturally able to love, but it's harder for her to respect uh, because she, she struggles with some of the things he does and sometimes she wants to change him. So he suggests that, that the reason why we have so many problems in marriage is because a woman is reacting to her husband's lack of love because she doesn't feel loved, she doesn't respect him. And because he doesn't feel respected, he ends up not showing love back to her. Can you see the crazy cycle? Yeah. Just to clarify, so it's not that women don't need respect and men don't need love. Very it's good There's a weakness point. on each side. Men and women both need respect and love. And I can tell you, my wife, uh, she really appreciates respect, for instance. But the weakness on both sides is that men tend to struggle to cherish the way they should. And women tend to struggle to respect the way they should. So this is a weakness. Now that's not popular, by the way, in today's culture. And we'll deal with some of that as we go through it. I just was listening to what you're saying. I don't disagree, but I, I was thinking maybe like uh, if, if a woman perhaps... Um, understands or is asking for love and that's deficient then that it comes from the other angle so it's not that a man doesn't know how to love so much but it's that the woman is looking for the signs of love that's where she feels fulfilled and maybe perhaps um, you know a woman doesn't know how to give respect uh, maybe it's more that the man is looking for symbols of respect that's okay so sometimes uh, this is the question are we do we understand the love and respect that we're receiving uh, and th the answer to that is often no. Uh, because a man tends to feel like, I am loving. Well, how do you know that you're loving? Because I work hard. And I, I support my spouse. And I protect her in, you know, from other people who would criticize her. So he feels like, I am loving. But she's like, but I don't feel loved. And she might say, but I do respect him. You know? And then he says, but I don't feel respected. So I think that is a lot of what's going on in these situations. We're going to cover some of that later on too. Um, now here's what he says. When a husband feels disrespected, it is especially hard to love his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. Would you see that? You know, so if she feels like just broken down. I remember uh, I had a girlfriend and I was still learning. I was immature, so I was still learning how to relate to her. And this girlfriend said to me, uh, you know, I know you mean well, but you're constantly trying to fix everything in my life is causing problems. She says, I flourish when you love me, and you'll find that a lot of those things that you're trying to fix will naturally disappear when you love me. That was a brand new concept to me. Like, what? What are you talking about? Because I'm, you know, very male at that point. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You have a problem, I'm going to fix it. Because we're problem solvers. And she says, no, when you love me, you're trying to fix my... I, I, I felt she had a lack of confidence. So I'm like, you just need to go out there and have confidence. Well, I have confidence. Oh, you know, I, I won't try and do that. And I just go out there and have confidence. She says, I have confidence when you're the wind beneath my wings. All right, so here's the energizing cycle. And the energizing cycle is his love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love. So as she shows respect to him, 
he feels motivated and he shows love back to her. He cherishes her in ways that help her. And he, she respects him in ways that he feels respected. And as they do this, this energizes them to increase their love for each other. Now, here is a very important point. A husband is to obey the command to love even if his wife does not obey this command to respect. Because it's not a contract. Remember I said it's a covenant. covenant. And a covenant says, I am going to minister to you even if you don't minister back to me. And a wife is to obey the command to respect even if the husband does not obey the command to love. So how would this work? So then, in this book, it goes into some differences between men and women that are very helpful, but it begins with this ministry perspective in mind. I minister the way Jesus would minister. But let's take a look at some differences between men and women. And so in the book, they say men... Uh, they are like chairs, you know, because a chair is solid, it's steady, it's functional. And uh, that, that describes what men need. And they identify six areas that I'll just briefly run through uh, that are conquest, hierarchy, authority, insight, relationship, and sexuality. This, they say, is what men need. And I think largely uh, they're correct. So the first one is conquest. A man loves to be competitive and to achieve. Now that's not true of all men. Remember this is a stereotype, but it does describe a lot of men. Uh, so he likes to go out and work. And the Bible sort of describes that. Wasn't that one of the curses? He would want to go out and work. So a man loves, he gets out there, woo, let's work. And you know, he's all excited and he's doing this work. And, he, and then his wife calls him and says, did you think about me? You know, and so, you know, men love that conquest. That's why, um, while video gaming is beginning to take off with, uh, with females, it's largely a male-dominated sport. Why? Because of conquest. Yeah, I succeeded and I built an empire. Of course, it's a virtual empire. But, uh, you know, it's that feeling of I've conquest, climbing the mountaintop, claiming the mountain. Uh, hierarchy. Now, don't think of this in a negative way. And I, I wish that had a different term for hierarchy here. But this is the desire to protect and provide. Not the desire to rule over, but just the, I'm the guy, I'm going to protect and provide for you. I will stand for you. I will beat back the enemy. Uh, because, you know, we all like to be the knight in shining armor. And then authority. Um, appreciating his desire to serve and to lead. Authority here is is not authority the way the world views it, like I'm in charge and you better listen to me, but authority is like Jesus does it. I am serving you. I'm sacrificially giving my life to you. And, and allowing a guy to do that, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm going to let you take some leadership here. It's not like this. Oh, Han, more chips and salsa, pronto, submit, submit. And then it says, taking Ephesians 5 verse 22 out of context was bad enough, but using a bell to summon his wife was both stupid and dangerous. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not that at all. Um, you know, somebody said to me, do you believe that a man should be the head of the home? And I said, I do. But what I define by that might be quite different from what you think. And they said, what do you mean? I said, being head of the home means being like Jesus. And so being like Jesus means I'm always trying to serve my wife. And so 90% of the time, we don't get to do what I want. Why? Because I'm serving my wife. <laughs> and so the 10%, when I say, you know, I really think it would be best to do it this way, she knows that I'm only doing it for the best of the family. Not because it's what I want, but because I believe this is the best of the family, and she respects that leadership. Does that make sense to everyone? 
So, uh, you know, I, I see headship quite differently. So, in addition to that, a man, uh, he likes to give insight. He appreciates, uh, he, he likes to analyze things, to come up with solutions. And a woman doesn't always like that. You know, she's like, you know, I want sympathy, not solutions. And I've had to learn that. But at the same time, ladies, appreciate the guy wants to, to fix it. So let him have his day. You know, I think what we could do is this. Uh, when she says, you know, I've been having a real problem uh, with my friend Mary. He goes, well, you know, Mary needs to get her life together. You know, Mary has this problem. And then you, you can just sit and listen. He's got some counsel. Let him work through that. And then at the end, you, you go, yeah, now back to Mary. <laughs> and, and just let him, let him do that. Uh, a guy does like relationship. But the way he does relationship is different. He likes shoulder to shoulder. So in my marriage, I, if you say, let's go on a date, you know what I like to do? I like to go play miniature golf. Because we can be hitting that ball together and I can win. No, I mean, we can have shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder companionship. A woman, we'll see, uh, has a different need for companionship. A guy just likes to do stuff together. You don't have to talk. Um, that's why, you know, we will, we will go and play a volleyball game and have a lot of fun and we don't say much to each other. Have you noticed guys don't go to the bathroom together? You know, it's like, hey, you know, I was just thinking, you want to go to the bathroom with me? You know, we don't tend to do that. Because then, yeah, that's just weird. So, <laughs> you know, we want to we go and just have companionship and doing activities, but we don't want talking stuff as much as we want doing stuff. And then sexuality, a man tends to desire sexual intimacy, um, and, and that's something that drives him. So, uh, even though it's a stereotype, can you see how this fits a lot of men? All right, let's, uh, let's take a look at a difference between men and women, and hopefully you can hear this little video. So in the book, Love and Respect, they identify that what a woman looking for is couple, because unlike the chair, which is functional, uh, what a woman looking for is greater intimacy between the two of them as a couple. And here are some of the things they identified, closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, and esteem. So I'll just run through each one of these and see ways in which we can minister to each other. And I'm particularly speaking to the men now. What a woman needs is to be close. She wants closeness. She wants those things that bring the two people together. It's kind of a little more exclusive. It's not hanging out with all the other buddies. It's, a, it's really learning how to, to come close. Pillar talk, uh, asking opinions. I had to have my wife help me out. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to read some of this. <laughs> Setting up a date, you know, what they want instead of shoulder to shoulder is face to face, eyeball to eyeball, where you can talk things through. Now again, is this every woman? No, but it does describe what a lot of women need. So that sense of closeness, openness, opening up to her. I had to learn this whole new language called emotions. Because when my wife would ask me, what are you feeling right now? I really had no idea. You know, that was a foreign language. You had just gone into an alternative universe. And so I had to learn how to identify my feelings. Okay, you know, I feel a little sad or depressed. And then actually, no, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, so she would help me through it. No, just, just open up, talk to me. And as I talked to her, she would like glow. She loved me to share my heart with her. Uh, understanding, not trying to fix her, remember? Sympathy, not solutions. Listening, and while the, the video plays on that, the fact is that many problems are solved just by your listening. You don't have to go and solve it. You just listen 
and she will figure out how to solve it. And if, you, if you've watched, again, this is not all women, but if you've watched some women as they get together and they share stuff, um, as they're sharing stuff, they work through it and they feel better and then they can go out and face the world. And so just being able to share it gives them the strength to face the world. And no one's going in, what you really need to do, hun, is this, blah, 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 blah. You know, they, they, they just kind of, yeah, that's tough. You know, how did you go through that? And then they work through it. Uh, peacemaking. Being able to say you're sorry. That just, it just thrills my wife's soul. And I've learned the power of saying, you know what, I apologize. I recognize what I did wrong there. And then her walls of defenses just come on down. Now, if you wait too long, it doesn't work. One time, my mom and my, my dad... Um, had had a discussion and he, and he had got upset and he had gotten a little angry and so he picked up the radio and he threw it down on the floor. Oh, you know, he was so upset, which he shouldn't have done. And so um, then he felt badly about it. So he goes into the garage and he begins to re-put this radio back together. It takes him like three hours. Finally, he has it back together and he comes back in. Now, he doesn't say, what are the magic words? I'm sorry. He says, I fixed it. <laughs> And she says, well, serves you right. <laughs> Bang! You threw it down again. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, be, be willing to say you're sorry rather than to fix it so that you look better. <laughs> because it, it ultimately will backfire. Uh, a woman loves loyalty. And one of the things Nicole has told me, she loves to overhear me boasting about her to others. The worst thing you can do to, to a woman is for her, and I guess this is guys too, but... Uh, because of the respect thing, but for, for your spouse to wonder upon you while you're busy criticizing your partner. And yet I know a bunch of married women who continuously criticize what their partner doesn't do. You know, he always, he, he doesn't do that, and I can't believe why he does that. You know, and there's this whole stream of criticism. Well, that, uh, that criticism is negative both ways, and particularly for a woman. She wants to know, are you loyal to this family? Do you care about our kids? And are you loyal to, to me as a person? Uh, one time, my wife, who's always honest with me, that's one thing I love about her, uh, she, she said to me, why is it that when a student needs you for an hour, you can make time, but when I need you for 10 minutes, you don't have time? It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, you really hit home. So I, I started to work on that. And I made her a priority. And so there was a time when... There was a significant student issue, and I said, man, I, I hate to do this, but I need to go and attend to that. And she says, I want you to go. I want you to minister. That's why I married you. I want you to go and minister or work or whatever the case is. I want you to go and do this, but it helps me to know that I'm your first priority. And then I can let you go. It's easy to let you go. But when I don't think I'm your first priority, it's much harder to let you go, that you're more loyal to your work or to what other people think of you than you are to me. And that means esteeming her honoring and cherishing her, helping her to feel like she's at the top of the world. And I'm not a naturally romantic guy, you know, I'm, uh, I'm more analytical. And so I've had to work at flowers and notes and, and things like that because that's how my wife feels cherished. And she said to me, look, I, I know you're busy, but a note would make all the difference in the world. And so it's like, oh yes, yeah. so I set my phone to, on an alarm to tell me, you know, send your wife a message. <laughs> this is terrible. But I'm in my box, right? I've got to get a message from outer space to get me out of my box. So ding, you know, send your wife a message. Like, Honey, I just want to let you know how much I love you. She says, I know, I saw it was on your alarm, but thanks anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, I try. Now, 
one of the things that's, that's really helpful is I read this book called Five Love Languages and it really helped me to, to what you were mentioning earlier here that we have different love languages that make us feel loved. Now I'm going to share with you the five love languages but I discovered these were five love languages mainly for women. And so I have my own version of the five love languages. Would you like to see that? So I want to give you the five love languages. It really helped me to learn how to minister to and love my wife. Uh, one of the things was words of affirmation. Now not everybody has this. Some people you compliment them, pff, means nothing. But when I compliment my wife, it's like, ooh, it's just wonderful. She feels good. She could wash dishes all week based on one compliment, you know. So, so words of affirmation for some people are really powerful. For, um, for other people, my wife just, all of these work. <laughs> um, quality time works really well. You know, you can spend quality time. You, words of affirmation may mean nothing to them, but just spending time with them. If you have 30 minutes with them where it's face to face and it's wonderful, they're like, wow, I love that. That was incredible. Uh, for other people, it's receiving gifts. Now, personally for me, a gift doesn't mean anything. You know, it's like, put it in the corner. And, and particularly as a guy, how many pairs of socks do I need? You know, <laughs> and so uh, gifts don't mean much to me, but to some people, Man, they love a gift. They cherish it. When I go to their house, they tell me, remember when you gave me this book? Here it is on the shelf. I take it down every now and again. And, and the words you wrote at the beginning, I just look at that. And I realize, wow, I need to give more gifts. This person really valued this gift. Um, some people, it's acts of service. So, uh, you know, if you're washing the dishes, you know, if, if a person loves acts of service, they don't care how much you're complimenting them. You know, you're so wonderful. I just love the way you are. I don't care what you're saying about me. The, the problem is the lawn hasn't been mowed. I want you to go mow the lawn. Then you can tell me all of those fluffy things. I want the lawn mowed. And the other guys, they, they think, well, what I'll do is if I mow the lawn, she'll be really impressed with me. And meanwhile, what she's dying is for words of affirmation. So just being aware of what makes a person feel loved is helpful. And then physical touch. You know, uh, just little touches of affection. And again, my wife, as I say, she likes all of these. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I just, when I come home and I just touch her, it lets her, makes her feel so loved. So finding out, dealing with this with your spouse and saying, what makes, what makes you feel loved? You know, and identifying like the two primary ones that make them feel loved. Now, when I looked at it as a guy, I was like, eh, it doesn't really, uh, something's missing here. For, uh, for me as a guy. I, I took the test and it was, uh, you know, it doesn't really describe it. So can I give you my version? So my version, five love languages for men, is first one, it wasn't words of affirmation, it was words of respect. Job well done. It, it, you know, I wanted to know that I was somebody worthy of respect. So it was different from just affirmation. Just like, you know, I think you're so wonderful. Now I wanted to know you did a great job. So it was different for me. Second one, instead of quality time, I wanted together time. Let's hang out together. Let's have fun together. So it was different than, you know, sh what would make her feel loved is, is these long conversations. And what made me feel loved is doing stuff together. So it was different. Uh, instead of receiving gifts, for me it's more like receiving a gift, the big gift. You know, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. You know. So it's the big gift. It's you're working towards something, achieving a promotion, uh, achieving, you know, saving up to buy that special car or whatever it was. So that was, was more important to me. And then um, instead of acts of service, now this is a, a different concept. 
what I needed was acts of dominion. Now, I know this sounds crazy, like I'm the king of the castle and you're the dirty rascal. But it really wasn't that. My house, I just felt so satisfied when it was in order and when the kids were well behaved. There was just something about that, like, yes, harmony and peace reigns in my kingdom. There was just something I, I can't fully describe. When one of the most loving things my wife could do was to send me back to work. And that wasn't anywhere in the five love languages that I read. But it's a strange thing. When she said, go and return to the battlefront and save the world. You know, it's like, thank you, mistress. <laughs> and then I would head out and I'd feel so loved uh, through that process. And then, instead of just physical touch, oh, I hate to say this, it's physical arousal. That, uh, you know, touch for my wife just means so much. But for a guy, how his wife dresses... Um, and, and how she relates in kind of a sexy way to him is part of what makes him feel loved. And so what do you think? I, am I totally off on these five love languages? Uh, it's, it's just a little different way of looking at it. And guys approach the love languages differently. Now, not all guys will be like me, but I can tell you that as I've dealt with a lot of guys, this describes guys a little better than some of the other ways. So as you think about all of these, um, I don't have time for some of these others. What I want you to do is to think about how you can communicate your need for love, but do it in the following way. First, let Christ so fill your heart that you're not a thirsty sponge. Pray before you speak to them. Assume that the other person does love and respect you, and then seek to minister and tune into their feelings instead of your own. Evaluate if it is really a big deal, what you're bringing up, and always communicate in a Christ-like way and listen non-defensively. Say to them, you know, I recognize that I'm starting to feel dry here because I'm not getting love or respect. And I want to share this with you so that we can build our marriage. Because the bottom line is, it's not about his needs and her needs. It's about how you can be, be Jesus to the other person and how you can see the other person through Jesus' eyes. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you have called us not simply to happiness, but to a holiness that leads to happiness. Thank you that uh, we can learn to minister to each other's needs, to really learn to be like Jesus who knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. Help us to have that goal and aim of ministry. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.